Roots and Shoots with Jamie, Charlotte and Steve on ABC Radio Perth and WA. Yeah, good morning. Steve Wood in... Uh, let's take your gardening questions today. one three hundred triple two seven twenty. 222 G'day, Steve. Morning, Jamie. Now, Charlotte's out. She is ducked out to go to a real garden. And we're going to talk to her shortly. Well, it's a pretty exciting project that's going on out there. Very positive. So looking forward to crossing to Charlotte a little yeah, bit later. Pretty cool in Bayswater where they've got this plan in, in local parks and reserves where people can kind of plant fruit and veg and get some stuff going. Well, look, the thing is, I mean... In, up until now, we've called it guerrilla gardening okay. because it's about taking advantage of, the, of, in particular, of those little local council or state, state government sort of spots of land that are just laying idle. And quite often they're close to people's homes and close to their hearts. And uh, look, my parents were big guerrilla uh, <laughs> gardeners. They were right into sort of having their fruit trees. They were on a small block. Yeah. But they didn't want to go without their pomegranates and their figs and their mandarins and their lemons. So they planted them out on council land. Right. Yeah. And with great success to the point where the council uh, actually tapped in and ended up watering, watering them. This is in the city of Stirling and uh, whippersnipping around the base of them and keeping them maintained. Look, it was, it was a beautiful uh, relationship with, and everyone in the area had access to the fruit. So it's sort of a step in the right direction so this is sort of rather than doing it sort of under the radar this is sort of uh, Bayswater are giving permission to people to you know the green light to go ahead but I'm looking forward to seeing what Charlotte's uh, you know got in store for us yeah we'll learn a bit more about that shortly Um, just before we get to some calls because already a few coming in for you Steve earlier we were talking about um, sugar with with Nikki during our healthy segment Uh, and there was a few questions around stevia and Mm. and potentially growing the plant yourself is it something that you can do in your garden at home you really can especially in the warmer months so stevia is one of these sort of subtropical type plants so really quite easy to grow but what I would recommend to people is that they buy a plant that's already established. You can, can get seeds of stevia okay. and, and grow them yourselves. But if you're starting, if you're buying a small plant or a semi-mature plant, it's a better way to go because what happens, the plant's at a good mature level to bring it through our colder winters than what they're traditionally used to. But look, they're a tough little plant. They do like a little bit of protection from that hot afternoon sun, especially yeah. that sort of January, February, end of, you know, March sort of heat and then after that they're great but um, so morning sun, afternoon shade, easy to grow. There you go a sugar fix in your own backyard uh, let's start with Norm who's in Corrine today. G'day Norm. Hey guys, how are we going? Well, excellent. Good, I've got a couple of questions, what, both uh, relate to plants that are flowering but won't produce sorry, that won't produce any flowers. One is um, the wild Australian finger line and I've had it in a a um, wine barrel size pot for about four years never produces a flower. Wow. Norm, one of the things with um, all of the citrus are, are the that they're big feeders. And one of the problems with having citrus in containers is that the nutrition in there is very easily leached out. So every time it rains or you water the plant, that sort of nitrogen, phosphorus and potassium does is very transient and will leach through. Most important one that you're looking for there for flower production is your potassium. So what I'd be doing is uh, purchasing a liquid potassium. And if that... So does the plant look fairly healthy within itself? 
Yeah, yeah, it does. Leave. It's got plenty of leaves and it's uh, got new shoots all the time, but never any flowers. Yeah. So th- it's just a matter of applying that as a foliar, also uh, mixing it up in a watering can and, and drenching the soil with it at the recommended rate. Because, okay. um, and also, what about the amount of sunlight that it's getting where it is there? It's in, it's in full sun. Great. Okay. Well, apart from that, that, that potassium element, it really hasn't got any other excuses. So I'd say you sort that out and all of a sudden uh, it'll come into flower and fruit. And the great thing about finger limes, they'll hold fruit for up to six months of the year. So really worth growing. Fantastic. Okay. Thanks for that. The other one is um, <laughs> they either call it a horn lemon or a horn cucumber. Yes. It's an African variety. Same thing. I plant seeds every year and it has lots and lots of foliage but never any flowers. Okay, well, there's a couple of tricks with those. One of the things that you can pinch the tip out and encourage more sort of lateral growth and with the lateral growth you'll get a lot more female flowers coming through and also just to make sure that you're getting pollination around there so that there's bees in the area and if not, you might have to do a little bit of um, self-pollination with a uh, little paintbrush. Beautiful. Thank you, Norm. couple of cheeky questions in there. <laughs> kind of like it well. when people do that. Nice work, Norm. Uh, let's go to Greg in Applecross. Greg, what's going on with your figs? Uh, hi. Um, my question is with regard to fig trees. Um, Steve, a few years ago, you, were, you very kindly gave me a small fig tree and we're having a bit of trouble with scale on it. Oh, I remember that, Greg. Yes, look, <laughs> the um, that scale uh, on figs in particular is a real shocker, and it's it's a scale um, that is that particular variety is you know fairly recent to WA, and uh, it's what it really takes is just persistence. So the very best treatment for scale is uh, always a white oil or a horticultural oil. One of the things with that is that it's important not to apply those on a really hot day and especially on the foliage. But the, in this particular case, you'll probably be applying it more to the stem because that's where this sort of scale really builds up its numbers. So the thing with scale is that when you do treat it with oil, it suffocates the scale, but it looks like it's still alive. It stays on the plant for perhaps up to, you know, maybe about four to six weeks after, after it's died. But yeah. it, it is important to do follow-up sprays because eggs will continue to hatch and the, and the uh, white oil doesn't take out the um, eggs themselves. So you repeat the process uh, each two weeks for three lots, so six weeks in a row, three three applications. And yeah. um, and that's the way to break, break that cycle because it's particularly aggressive, the fig scale. And... Uh, are there any kind of ongoing ramifications? You know, if the scale falls into the soil, do I need to do anything with regard to the soil or not really? It, not really, Greg. That, that, they'll just sort of naturally break down, and they've got they've lost their ability to reproduce. So, um, you know, it's it's about the best that you can do. You will probably have to keep on to it for a year or two, though. Beautiful. Cheers, Greg. Uh, a tree that you, you gave to Greg. That's nice. Yeah. You're a good guy. <laughs> we like to. That's, that's what we do. We love sharing. You I know? like that you can remember it too. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. There's a few out there maybe with your names on them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this from Susan on the text, uh, 0437922720. Uh, can you suggest a small, showy, native bird-attracting feature tree or shrub Okay, three metres max for the back corner or the corner verge facing the southwest. 
had something there, but it died. That's a rather specific question. It is a rather specific question. But look, in this particular case, and when we're talking about a three-metre size shrub as well, you just can't go past the exquisite grevilleas that are out there. And something like honey gem, there's quite a range of them. It depends on what's available in the garden centre that you go into, but there's always a range of these beautiful um, new hybrid grevilleas, or many of them have been around for for some time now, but there's an ever-increasing range of them in colour and flower size and that type of thing. But if you just say that you're looking for a grevillea, three metres by three metres, um, there's an exquisite range, a good half dozen out there in most garden centres and they've got beautiful big flowers. They're sort of like a, around a 20 centimetre type flower. They're in flower for six to nine months of the year. There's birds on them for most of the day. They're just gorgeous. It's kind of beautiful, isn't it, to oh. walk out and just see birds frolicking around yeah. and having a good time? They're one of the ultimate plants to put in the garden. Beautiful. Thanks for that, Susan. Uh, a photo here from Val, who's in uh, Winthrop, Steve. Uh, a silver maple? Oh, yes. Yeah. Or uh, a silver birch, perhaps. Okay. Oh, no, no, it's, it is silver variegated maple. There we go. It has mostly white leaves on the lower branches. Uh, is this a, a problem or a deficiency of some kind? You can see it there, just really white compared to, to some of the other leaves. Wow. Yeah. Is that is that unique? The amount of white on this particular one looks like it, it could be a case of um, thrips that are feeding on there and... They're sucking the green out of the underneath of the leaf. Okay. Um, but, yeah, it does. that just looks like it's um, particularly been quite savaged. But it's one of those things that I'd really love to have a look at. A leaf, I don't know if a leaf can be sent into Sabrina. She'd be able to tell straight away when you can actually have a look at the leaf itself and see if it's a chlorosis from nutrition or if that sort of discolouring is being caused by insect activity. Okay. Is that something that might, and it depends on what the actual issue is and having a look at it in your hands, but that, that might be difficult to, to mend? Not really. Either okay. way, it's a, it's an easy one to mend. I'd, actually, the other thing you, you could uh, do with that is just take it down to your local garden centre as well. There's a good idea. They'll, they'll pick it out straight away for you. Beautiful. Quarter past nine, you're listening to Steve Wood on Roots and Shoots uh, and Andrew's in Ravensthorpe. Hi, Andrew. Oh, good morning, Steve. How are you today? Great, Andrew. How are you doing? Yes, pretty good, thank you. Good. Now, I've got an interesting situation. I, I, know, I know tomatoes and potatoes are closely related, but I've got, actually got a hybrid in my garden. Right. Tell now, me about that. <laughs> so, tell us a little more about it, Andrew. Well, the, um, you know, the parent uh, plant is obviously a potato. Yeah. I planted it myself, and I know it's a potato because... Like I say, I planted it and I can see the potato partly sticking out of the ground and it's got typical potato leaves, but it's got clusters of tomato berries on it, on the plant. Gee, I tell you what, you got me there. That's bizarre. Yep. If it was April the 1st, I'd be... um... (laughs) You're not telling us fibs, are you, Andrew? (laughs) Well, no, look, I'm sort of... I, I was waiting for you to ask me that, so I've actually taken a photograph of it, which I can... Text it in, that, Andrew. That would be awesome, Zero four three seven nine double two seven twenty. Text it in. When we get it, we'll have a look and uh, we'll see what we can decipher yeah. from the picture. Uh, Andrew, thank you. Thanks, there. Andrew. That's bizarre, isn't it? It's 
particularly bizarre. I like that he also identified that that is so obscure that he thought he could have been poking a bit of fun, <laughs> but he's being honest. We'll wait for the proof on the text very shortly. Uh, in the meantime, uh, John is in Embleton, uh, an issue with some apple trees. John, how are you? Good, thanks, mate. How's yourself? We're good. Uh, yes, I'm ringing on behalf of my granddaughter who lives in Sorrento. Uh, they've only moved in this house a few months ago and there's like two apple trees alongside each other, but they go straight up. They're nearly about 10 metres or 10 foot high. Right. And it's got little apples, some as big as a five-cent piece and some as big as a 10-cent piece. Wow. Now, it's to, to look at the little apple itself, it looks a bit like a Fuji. Yes. But um, I'm just wondering, when, when it's time to prune it, which yeah. is, what, June, July? Ideally, yes. Uh, how far can I come down as far as pruning? Sure. John, I'm, I'm thinking that what might have been planted there is a couple of crab apples. Crab apples have become really sort of popular and, and available uh, in recent years. And they're a beautiful little ornamental apple that are grown for, well, all, certainly this small fruit that appears on them, uh, and but mainly for the sort of foliage colour and the uh, just the elegantness of the of the trees that, themselves. That's not a lily pilly, is it? No, lily no. pilly is a little bit different again. Yeah, and you're yeah, right. That's, that's right. Uh, that that um, sort of gets a, an apple type name as as well as a common name. But though this is a true crab apple that dates back you know, many hundreds of years oh, back right. to sort of Shakespearean time where it was uh, often, you know, often referred to. And uh, and they've become very popular once again. They really are a gorgeous little little plant and that's what I think that that will be. But by all means, I'd be pruning that back by, you know, a third and up to a half and trying to encourage yeah, just a... There's not a lot of foliage at the bottom. It's all kind of... The, the, just goes straight up. It's not a real bushy yes. type of apple tree. It just goes straight up. And and they are like that. They're really quite an elegant tree. So, oh, right, but right. by um, pruning it back, you'll encourage a lot more lateral growth, and you'll you'll get a bit more bushiness into it. Yeah, these um, they're, they're not very nice to taste. No, no. <laughs> they're <only> <laughs> Traditionally, they're used for making sauces and oh, right. um, also uh, for apple cider as well. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. Hey, John, the big question, who's going to be doing the pruning, do you reckon? Yeah, yeah, I wonder. (laughs) (laughs) Good dad. John, just as long as there's maybe a a little cider or an apple pie to go with it afterwards. Yeah. Uh, John was just talking there. So his his granddaughter's moved into a new place a couple of months ago. That tree's out the back. When someone moves into a a new house, should they kind of survey the garden a little bit and do a bit of investigating and and see what's there? Because it can be forgotten about with all the other work you got to do when you move in. Yeah, I've, I, look, I feel sorry for people sometimes because, you know, after so many years in horticulture, it's one of those things where every day you're still learning. So yeah. for people that are, you know, sort of new to gardening in particular, and like you say, you go into a, you buy a new house, you inherit this garden, and then you've got to sort of go through and decipher all the different types of trees and and shrubs and everything that's in there and the little idiosyncrasies that go with each of the plants, pests and diseases, nutrition requirements, sun requirements, all those sort of things. But it's all part of the fun and the mystique of gardening. You and, can also uh, feel a little guilty if you <laughs> change things as well. Well, that doesn't hoping hurt. they don't come back. I don't think people should ever be frightened to sort of pull a plant out or prune something back nice and hard and sneak in a couple of your favourites. You're making me feel better about <laughs> taking out the rose bushes recently. Oh, Steve. Jamie, really? Is 
Is that bad? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm a big Rose fan, so maybe it is. I shouldn't have said it. No. Uh, on the text, Mary, save me. Uh, a, a photo here of some of her capsicums getting a few marks on them that look yeah. pretty severe. That really kind of going through the skin and into the flesh there and a, a dark black kind of brown coating over part of them, Steve. It's so disappointing when this happens. So this is actually a calcium deficiency okay. and that causes that to happen in capsicums can happen in two ways. Number one, the, the soil can just be lacking in calcium, so a little bit of garden lime is a wonderful way to correct that. And the other thing is if they're overwatered because, once again, excess water tends to, uh, if the soil's uh, quite damp consistently around the base of the capsicum, they're not able to take um, calcium up into this. Okay. And, so, and so they go through a calcium deficiency like that as well. So if overwatering could be a possibility by all means reduce that down and if there's uh, too much compost around there that might be staying a little bit damp and sort of soggy then uh, allow the soil to dry out a bit but otherwise if it's nice free draining soil just add a little bit of garden lime that'll correct the problem. The, the the markings on them are quite severe on one side, but the other looks clear. Could you still use the other Absolutely. side of the vegetable? Sure, yeah, yeah okay. you can. Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, another question here about fig trees, Steve, uh, from Mark, who wants to know what's wrong with it and how he can fix it. And you can see there just some marking over the leaves of that fig tree. Yeah. So once again, this is um, one of the problems with figs is that traditionally they'll be grown in sort of really quite beautiful, rich soil. And, uh, you know, through the Mediterranean, in regions. Yeah. That in in our Perth sandy soils, we've perhaps got some of the, if not the poorest soils in the world. So, um, and nutrition deficiency is just one of those things that occurs with, and especially the less amount of organic material in the soil, the bigger the problem's going to be. And this is a classic example here of just trace elements missing uh, from there. So I'd be adding a bag of compost, uh, getting hold of some trace elements and just sprinkling trace elements around at the recommended rate. The compost will hold that trace elements in the soil, won't allow them to leach through, and you'll get beautiful, healthy um, blemish-free foliage. Okay, there you go, Mark, some work to do. Uh, let's jump over to Leedy, though, uh, with David. G'day, David. Oh, how are you going, guys? Good, David. Um, I've just got a, a row of star jasmines along the side of our house, in between our, our house next door, um, and they've grown quite tall on the fence. I'm yes. wondering how far can I prune them back? Very... Um, to- to get them to push at the bottom and, you know, is it possible to prune them too far down, sort of thing? Yeah, it's a good question, Dave. And look, the, the wonderful thing about star jasmine is that it is indestructibly hardy. So you'll probably, one of the, um, a really fantastic display of it is in Subiaco in the medium strips. And I mean, any plant that can survive in a medium strip, let alone not, not only survive, but absolutely thrive, is a winner, you know, especially in our, in our hot summers and the heat that's reflected up off the roads. But the star jasmine does a stunning job there and comes into flower. So it's one of those plants that uh, ca- can be pruned in summer. Normally, we don't recommend summer pruning, but the star jasmine will thrive on that. And you can prune them back pretty much as hard as you want. So bring it right down to the you know, right. to the shape that you want, it's as low as probably 30 centimetres off the ground. Oh, okay, so right down to the stick, down the bottom. If you need to, yeah, yep. for sure. Okay. So, and But follow it up with a little bit of a, a feed. Yep. I'd recommend a slow-release fertiliser because star jasmine do all their growing during the warmer months. During winter here or even the cooler months, they sort of just sit dormant. So make the most uh, if you want, to, want it to bush up a bit and 
get a little bit of um, health back into it to put a bit of slow-release fertiliser around it now. And so it's actually even better to do it now than yeah, yes. later on. Now, okay, is, cool. now is a really good time for that okay. particular plant. Your afternoon's yep. just looking a little busier now, <laughs> David. Thank you. I saw a swing set in a median strip once. Yes. That's what we're talking about. Didn't think it was the best place for it. <laughs> uh, it is 24 minutes past nine. You're listening to Roots and Shoots with Steve Wood. Uh, shortly, we'll head to uh, Bayswater where uh, Charlotte Hamlin is going to talk to us about some, well, gorilla gardening. Yes, I think. yes. Um, legitimate. Legitimate gorilla gardening. You won't get in trouble for it. Uh, more on that very shortly uh, with Charlotte. Before that, though, let's just get to a couple of calls. Uh, Di's been pretty patient in Hillary's. G'day, Di. Um, hello. Hi, Di. Hi, I've got a beautiful big banana plant. Yes. Beautiful. It's probably 12 feet high, massive. It's probably half a metre in diameter. It's about two years old. It's just beautiful. But um, And it's got two babies that are probably well, a good metre and a half tall, front and back. Um, but no fruit spike, and I don't know what to do with this thing. Like, um, should I be cutting it back, you know, the big one off and let the babies grow, or...? How long has the big one um, been there, Diane? Ooh, it could be a couple of years, I think. Because what happens with the bananas is that they, you know, they have the main stem. Yep. It'll take uh, two to three years for that to produce fruit. Once they have produced fruit, it's important that they're cut off at the ground mm-hmm. and those babies are the, the, the next lot that come through. So by leaving the uh, mature one there after it's fruited, it's not going to fruit again. Mm, so it hasn't fruited. So I don't know what to do. Like these babies are sort of getting quite big now, front and back. I just don't know what to do with the whole thing. I'd be Look, if you've got room to leave those young ones there, I'd be inclined to do that because... Mm-hmm. Being in Hillary's, being close to the coast there, you often see bananas fruit really quite successfully. So the, main, the most important thing is that, of course, the other, the negative about being uh, so close to the coast is a poor sandy soil. So once again, a bit of organic yeah, material in there, great. Yep. And that's probably why they're, they're doing so well. Mm. And uh, But look, I'd just give it time. Oh, okay. Yeah, oh. and let that mature one come to fruit and then... The, the baby ones will be ready to take over, you know, once you once you need to chop that one down. Good. Thanks very much. Good luck. Thank you. Bye. Cheers, Di. Uh, let's go to South Perth. Natalie uh, has some issue with some sticky scale. Hey, Nat. Hey. Hey, Steve. It's Nat Woodman. Hi. Oh, lovely to hear from you, Nat. Excellent. Yeah, Thank you. Hey, Steve, I've got a, um, a Chinese tallow and it's got this scale on it, but it's really sticky and it drops like a, a sticky... Yes, yes. on the ground. Yep, waxy scale. And, Nat, the thing is that, and it was a bit like uh, Greg with the scale and his fig, scale at this time of year is rampant. You know, this is a time of year where it reproduces at its its best or -hmm. worst. And uh, one of the things is that scale is sort of farmed by ants. So quite often you'll see ants in conjunction with the scale. They'll take the little tiny baby scale and they'll travel them out and allocate them to all different parts of the tree and, you know, let them grow there because they they feed off the the, uh, waste product from scale. It's sort of like a sugary sap. Thanks, guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So that sugary sap is what's dripping down. And so, Nat, really just to go through and once again use a horticultural oil or a white oil, suffocate the scale, repeat it every two weeks, you know, th- three lots of two weeks and you'll crack the problem. And I've got underneath that tree, I've got like a chicken that eats sort of 
stuff in uh, a guinea pig. Is that yeah. an issue if it drops down? No, it's all so the scale is so absolutely fine, and the white oil is an organic product, so it's fine. Okay. All right, good. Good luck. Thank you very much. Pleasure, Natalie. Cheers, Thanks. Nat. Uh, we'll get to Norma, Kate, and Wally shortly, and uh, the rest of your calls one three hundred triple two seven twenty. But uh, Steve, let's go out to Bayswater because residents in that part of Perth will soon be able to plant fruit and vegetable trees in their local parks and reserves without a lengthy approval process. Charlotte Hamlin is out there. Good day, Charlotte. Good morning, Steve and Jamie. I'm sitting cross-legged in the grass at Rose Avenue Reserve in Bayswater. I feel a bit like I'm back at school, but it's quite pleasant. (laughs) I'm joined by the Deputy Mayor, Chris Cornish, who has spearheaded this project. The local council has voted to reduce the red tape around public gardens. You might have heard about this during the week. Chris, good morning. Thank you for sitting cross-legged on the grass with me this morning. (laughs) Good morning, Charlotte. Why this project? What's driven you to do this? I mean, we're sitting here looking out over this sort of beautiful community garden with fruit trees and compost and all sorts of bits and pieces. Why are you interested in this? Well, when this garden was shared with me about four years ago, I thought, wow, I was really blown away. And I said, this should be commonplace. It shouldn't be illegal, which it was. It should be commonplace and permissible throughout the city and beyond, hopefully. What is it that the council's voted to do to make these sorts of things easier? Well, we've transformed how how public land can be used by the public. We really have, and it's very exciting. Basically, we've given the green thumbs up. If someone wants to put some edible food in a local park that they're nearby, they just give, give the council a, a call and can get approval then and there to do such. Of course, the... Um tree lopper or something has started up near us, Jamie and Steve, but bear with us. (laughs) Chris, what do you envisage with this? I mean, it's more to you than just the odd garden popping up. You're really trying to start a movement here, aren't you? Yes, I am. I think it is a great way for communities to come together. I know at this particular garden, everyone down that street is involved and comes down and gets produce. And if this was replicated all over the the country it would be truly fantastic and i i'm just so proud that the city of bayswater has now shown the entire country this has had national and indeed international attention we have shown that it can be done you can negotiate a good outcome with the insurers and you can allow the public land to be used by the public and what's the response been from your constituents is there a lot of enthusiasm about this well it's it's very recent it's a, it's hot off the press so to speak and so it was only um past I think less than two weeks ago but I am aware of a number of groups and individuals who plan on on at least planting some trees edible trees in in their local parks so I think it will build and build that's fantastic Chris thank you so much and Jamie and Steve I'm keen to get your thoughts on this do you think other councils around the state and even around the country should be following this lead Oh, Charlotte, it's just the most wonderful story. And to you, Chris, congratulations, because you're absolutely right. You're setting an example. And, you know, when one council shows the way and shows that it can be done, it inspires others. And it's a beautiful story because, like you said before, Chris, one of the most important things, it's about connecting communities. And um, we've, you know, there's so many um, different 
ethnic communities out there as well and this is a beautiful way of connecting people with uh, bringing different types of plants in that people share especially in community gardens but I just I love this concept I love the idea I wish you every success. Charlotte I'm just a little concerned with what we heard in the background though it wasn't some space <laughs> being made for the the community project there just with that chainsaw no. in the background. We've picked a spot that we thought was nice and quiet, yeah. but now that we look around, we are on the train line. Uh, we are on, is it railway parade that we're on here? And, um, and yes, there's a tree lopper at work. <laughs> so perhaps I'll be a bit more strategic next time I want to do an out and about interview. But it is, it is, despite all that, it's incredibly serene down here and it's been very nice. I just wanted to make sure. For a bit. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure you weren't taking the sword or something yourself, Shah. But, uh, <laughs> no, thank I you. wouldn't dare. I wouldn't think so. Uh, Charlotte Hamlin there. We'll be doing that a lot on, uh, on Saturday breakfast, uh, heading out and about to where you are telling those stories. Um, Steve, I know you're a huge supporter, a huge rap on those things, but to me, uh, the, the perspective I like is a lot of us are getting more and more private, but it's a way to kind of meet people who are around the corner and next door because we kind of do less of it these days. I think the social aspect of it's huge, Jamie. There's um, a couple of places that I know of where people have uh, used their uh, verge areas, and in particular they've turned them over predominantly to herb gardens. Okay. So you've got things like beautiful fresh mint and basil and thyme and oregano. And, you know, these are plants that are really easy to grow. They're low growers, so they don't cause any problems with, you know, blocking visibility or causing too much, too much trouble along the street. And what you see in these places is um, passers-by very regularly, like some on a daily basis will stop and pick their fresh herbs. I mean, you go into a supermarket, you buy herbs that might be two, three, four days old, yeah. you know, you bring your always probably buy more than you need and the rest goes soggy in the fridge and all the rest but to have a few of these lovely sort of verge gardens and out and, and then to take this to a new level in the community gardens little uh, herb patches like that for people to share it's just a, it's, it's all positive stuff that's my rosemary bush out there you the go front people from the neighbourhood just coming and picking, which I like because the thing yeah. grows like crazy. So yeah, <laughs> natural pruning. Exactly right. Uh, 24 minutes, 26 minutes to 10 rather. Uh, Roots and Shoots with Steve Wood. So one 720 the number. Let's go to Norma in Qdale. Hey, Norma. Oh, good morning. Uh, good morning, Steve. Hi, Norma. I have um, a lime tree in a pot that I've had for eight years. Yes. Um, it has flowered a few times but the flowers have fallen off um one year i got a couple of limes that grew to about 20 cent size but it's looking very sick and it's covered in that citrus leaf miner yes so i'm wondering whether to persist with it um or get another one maybe because i've heard this particular one is not that uh, good a lime tree so you know, Norma, there's a couple of different limes out there. The, the West Indian lime, the Tahitian lime, they're normally the two most popular apart from the, um, you know, the one that's grown for foliage alone. Uh, but so both of those will perform rather well in Perth. One of the things, once again, we mentioned early in the show, and especially when they're in a pot, they get so hungry so quickly and it really holds them back. So what I'd recommend, I tend to, when it comes to sort of edible plants like that, I prefer slow-release natural fertilisers, so looking at things like blood and bone and um, that the pelletised chicken manure, both of these work in a... Can you put that in pots? Very much so. So especially things like the pelletised chicken manures, they've um, got a natural slow-release 
uh, characteristic to them, uh, the, the way that they sort of break down over a period of time. Now, blood and bone, the blood in the blood and bone is water-soluble, so that releases fairly quickly. So we do have to be careful not to burn the uh, plants with that, especially small plants. So I often say using blood and bone, use it little and often. But with things like pelletised chicken manure, you can use it in, well, almost shovelfuls, you know, rather than handfuls mm. and uh, to get good results. But that allows a constant feeding and uh, you'll find really quite dramatic results where uh, you'll get a lot of growth. Once again, the citrus grow in the warmer months of the year, so it's really good to take advantage of, of uh, the next couple of months before it starts to cool down. So I'd be fertilising it now and um, a little bit of blood and bone, uh, pretty much a shovel full of uh, pelletised chicken manure and I reckon you'll turn that in that little lime tree into a highly productive tree. Beautiful. Good luck with that, Norma. Uh, let's talk passion fruit with uh, Kate. Hey, Kate. Oh, hi, Steve and Jamie. Hi, Kate. How are you this morning? Great. Thanks Thank you. Um, I just got a passion fruit which has been growing really well this year and given us lots of fruit, which is exciting. Beautiful. Um, now, I just want to know what I do with it now because do I can I fertilise it while it's fruiting? Um what should I do now? I've got some leaves on there that are kind of dark green at the vein and sort of light on the edges. Yes. Does that mean it's missing something? It does. That's right. So normally um, it can be missing. It sounds like it's missing some a little bit of trace elements there. You're down in Bustleton. So once again, you probably get a, a little bit challenging with soil, um, sandiness in the soil. But um, so by all means, you know, build up that organic material, uh, keep that nutrition up to it with the passion fruit. Uh, blood and bone is a fantastic way to go with that, those as well. And uh, once again, little and often. So probably every three months, a, a handful or two around, around the base and watered in really well is a great way to go. But the most important thing with passion fruit is regular pruning. Because as you probably know, Kate, it's, it's, they throw on a lot of growth during the warm period. And they can they can become their own worst enemies, like a real mass tangle of of growth. And while exactly you might, yes, and while you might think, you know, a lot of people think, well, the more growth, the more fruit we'll get. And there's an element of truth there, but in the long run, that it really pulls the plant down. So it's quite important to prune it. And I like to prune them before it gets cold. So really, probably about the end of March, early April, to go through prune it by anywhere up to half. So that as it comes into new growth in spring, it's got a good framework and, and it's from that new growth that you'll get flowers and fruit. Can I just chop any bits off? You or? can. Just don't don't worry about it too much. Just <laughs> <laughs> Not like a rose where you Not, have to chop this bit and that bit. That's no. right. No, don't, don't, let, don't be uh, too worried about it by any means. Prune it back to a shape that's manageable. Okay. All right. Ben. Well, I have to get out the, um, you know, hedge trimmer. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, it sounds like you've had a great season out of it. I love passion fruit. Beautiful. Absolutely. Thank you, Kate. Get cutting. Uh, sometimes it's a little nerve-wracking, though, when you're doing something like that. How far back do I go? Have I gone too hard? Have I done too much? Sounds, I get nervous. Sounds like you went too hard on the roses, mate. Yeah, that's it. That's <laughs> it. I reckon I did. Do you know the roses? I reckon they looked great for maybe three weeks of the year tops. Really? And then the rest of the year... Just but, no love. So were and I they, happened to buy the house when they were looking great. <laughs> <laughs> were, they, were they in a bit of a shady spot or uh, uh, in the, no, fair bit of sun? Fair bit of sun, fair bit of sun. You know, one of the things with Rosa, and this is another area where people tend to get a bit sort of nervous, how far much do I prune? Roses can rarely be over pruned. 
So okay. I always recommend go in hard, really, really hard, you know, Yeah. and sort of prune them down. I like to prune them between 30 to 40 centimetres above the ground every winter. So just chop them right back because they're grafted onto vigorous rootstock and they make new growth, plenty of new growth each season. Mm. So we tend to be a bit light. They get all woody and gnarly and thick and bushy yeah. and sort of quite and, – and it's what happens when they're like that too, you don't get enough airflow going through the plant so they're open to – all the different fungal diseases and they get, you know, black spot and and rust and that type of thing. And you don't get as – you get more flowers but they're not as uh, such a feature. So by pruning them hard you get a few less flowers but they're big, beautiful flowers, especially on the hybrid teas. I do have to point out though they have gone to a better place. Oh, good, you transplanted them. Yeah, someone who uh, had moved and they didn't have roses where they they were and it kind of meant something a little special to them uh, at their old place so they came along. Pricked, uh, picked them up and uh, yeah, hopefully good. they're looking good. You did good, Jamie. I passed All right. it along. I'm All trying right. to, yeah. I'm happy about that. Thanks, mate. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's go to Brian on the text. Uh, g'day, Steve. I have this succulent inside. It's covered in this white stuff. It's starting to kill it. What is it? Can I save it? <gasps> okay. So that's a crashula, which are traditionally do very well indoors. And, in fact, mm. the plant itself is... There's a lot of succulents being sold out there at the moment, especially the Echeveras, which look gorgeous, but don't perform well indoors. Okay. So that those particular ones, uh, you're bringing them inside, two or three weeks, they sort of break down, they get very soft, they start to stretch, they're not suited, they need bright light. But then there's a whole range of succulents that thrive indoors. So things like Hawthias and Gasterias, and certainly the Cratulas, like that particular variety is there. But what happens when they are indoors, because there's not a lot of air movement, if there's any sign of scale or um, uh, it, a, a lot of the various different diseases, mealybug is another one, um, if there's a hint of an egg on there when the plant comes inside, that egg grows, there's nothing to feed on it, there's no sort of predators, there's not a lot of ants inside to, that would might normally um, eat them Yeah, and uh, there's no air movement to restrict their growth and so they take off quite vigorously. So that particular plant there, what I'd recommend is you take it outside. It is going to need to be sprayed and uh, once again, a little, little bit of white oil on that crashula will be okay. And um, you can also use uh, some methylated spirits on a uh, really? cotton wool bud. Okay. We'll do the job. And um, and then treat it, leave it outside for a little while in not direct sunlight but bright light and then bring it back inside once it's cleaned up. Is that an area that's really growing, indoor plants? It's so exciting. Yeah. It's actually the, 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 the biggest growth. So we went through this... Um, the succulents have been big for five, six, seven years now. Yeah. But what we're really seeing now is this trend towards the, well, what I grew up growing. So all the old-fashioned indoor plants from the 70s, you know, so beautiful things like syngoniums and skindapsis, the pothos, and even back down to some of the beautiful palms, the kentia palms and things like that as well. And it's a great trend because as our uh, garden sort of gets smaller... And uh, certainly with younger gardeners that uh, might be uh, renting homes, mm-hmm. 
they're taking their, they're putting their gardens into containers. They're enjoying them indoors, which is a beautiful place to enjoy them. And uh, and there's this whole rebirth of, of, of indoor plants going on. And oh, it's just, it's exciting. Is it bringing back a few memories for, for you? For me, it does. This? Yeah. Yeah, for me, it does because they're so easy to propagate. So they're the sort of plants that if your friend comes over and says, gee, I really love the look of that pothos that's hanging down in that <laughs> basket. And you can sort of go, just break off a little bit, give them a piece, take it home, plant it, put in it, just buy yourself a little bit of potting mix and a pot that you like and pop it in and look in two weeks it's got roots and it's starting to grow itself and and that's an absolute joy all on its own it's all about sharing today yeah. isn't it uh 1300 720 uh if you've got a question for steve on roots and shoots uh g'day wally hello how are you we're good uh thanks for your show um regarding the the uh person that called up about the potatoes having fruit yes uh, in past studies, uh, it, it happens occasionally, but the thing that concerns me is that fruit could be toxic. Sure. That's a good point, Wally, too, because they're both from the Solanaceae. Yeah, I think yeah. the Solanaceae toxicity goes through it. Mm. Well, good warning. Good warning. Cheers, Wally. Uh, let's. John's in Vic Park. He's been waiting for a while. Apologies, John. How are you? Uh, good. Good Good morning. Um, yeah, I'm fine, mate. Um what it, I just want to know about this bugger of a thing called uh, the hibiscus flower beetle. Yes, it is. I've got some, I've got some hibiscus out the back of my place that normally flower beautifully, and I realised the other day they haven't flowered for ages. Mm. And I'd sprayed them. Um, well, what's the go with these things? I've never come across them before. No, and it's it's look, it's newish and it's getting worse, John. And uh, so what what happens is they destroy that bud in the very early stages. And uh, so, like you say, it looks like the plant isn't really coming into flower at all. And, of course, hibiscus are at their peak now, especially over the next sort of six or eight weeks. This is when they should be looking absolutely fantastic. So what you really need on there is a systemic uh, insecticide and ideally something that's got fairly low toxicity in there and um, but something that's going to keep the the plant clean so i'm not too, do you know what you've sprayed on there at this stage um yeah it's a um well it's a, it's specifically for uh mealybugs um yeah. These types of beetles, I'm just that, running around trying to find it. That's okay, mate. That that should do the job. Um, but I, if I was you... Uh, the confidor. Yeah, I'd give it another spray sort of about now. Okay. And um, uh, because this is at the... It's right at its peak at the moment, so a, a really good time to go back in. Okay, okay. Can I just ask one other very sure, quick mate. thing? Um, my daughter has a an apricot in a big... It's a beautiful, big, healthy apricot in a big half barrel. Yes. Now, it fruits beautifully every year, but then the fruit doesn't ripen and it rots and drops off. Yes. Okay, so that, that's, uh, it is an element deficiency and can be related to calcium as well in the soil, especially if the soil starts to get too acid. So it's about keeping the soil nice and fresh. I'd, I'd be recommending um, a, either a dolomite lime or some garden lime in there, and also just making just a once a year at least give, drenching it with a, a liquid uh, trace element solution. Oh, 
okay, so we're, we're going to rip it out and put it in the ground. Do you oh. reckon we can keep it going in the pot? Sure. Look, there's no reason why it shouldn't do well in the pot, John, but if one, one of those trees, it really does enjoy being in the ground as well. So either way, but I'd definitely use the lime and trace elements. Beautiful. Thanks, John. That's pretty trendy at the moment, isn't it? The old wine barrel pot. They're, they're perfect. Yeah. They're perfect. If you're going to grow a fruit tree, uh, especially citrus, in a pot, it needs to be 100 litres. Half right. a wine barrel, 100 litres. It's a great way to go. Good drainage. Perfect. Mm. You can get two of them going. Uh, Des is in Norseman. Howdy, Des. Oh, hello. Thanks for taking my call. No I listen, listen to your programs all the time. I'll, I'll ring up to find out about Proteus. Um, where I was going to plant some, but I was wondering if they grow all right in Norseman. The ground I'm putting them in is, is virgin ground. All the growth has been grown as weeds. And I just want to know what to put in there if I, if I can grow them. Well, Des, you know, they theoretically they should do very well there. One of the things with proteas uh, is that they're from, obviously from the proteaceae family, and they're prone to um, excess phosphorus. So they've developed this ability to make the most of the soil that they come from naturally and if they get too much phosphorus then they, uh, they sort of take it up greedily and they overdose on it and it can cause them to die. So this is one of the plants that where you see um, fertilisers that are specific for native plants, what they're normally referring to are things like our grevilleas, our hakeas, um, anything from the Proteaceae family. And even though the Proteas are from uh, South Africa, then they still fall into this same category. So yeah. plant them into that lovely pure soil, but fertilise them with a, a native-specific fertiliser and ideally a slow-release one and ideally one that has got a slow-release rate of around eight to nine months. They come in various rates, three to four, five to six, eight to nine. But definitely go for an eight to nine and one for natives and you will nail it. You'll have the most stunning-looking proteas. Yeah, um, yeah. thank you for that. Um, can, when I dig the hole to put them in, do I put any compost in there? Or? You, by all means, you can put a little bit of compost as long as it's well-aged and hasn't got too much animal manure in it. But the, the proteas will actually thrive on fairly sandy soils, Des, as long as they've got that, that slow-release fertiliser with them as well. So what I tend to do is put that more to the top and be fairly generous with it. So you'd be looking at putting a small handful per plant once it's put in the ground. Beautiful. Thank you, Des. Your composts like your reds. Nice bit of age about them. <laughs> <laughs> it is 10 minutes to 10. Roots and shoots with Steve Wood. Oh, let's go to Jackie. I wonder if we can figure out who Jackie is by just hearing her voice. Hello. <laughs> Could. You sound a little bit like uh, someone I know. Maybe Sabrina, <laughs> perhaps, Jackie. Yeah, well, it's probably because I'm her older sister and the only time I can ever get her to answer any questions on my plants is if I ring her program up as a listener and ask her what to do with them. What's going on with that, Jackie? You need a little bat phone, a direct <laughs> phone straight to her. <laughs> yeah, well, that's if she answers it. You'd be lucky. There you go. You know, it's... It's very difficult to get hold of her. Oh, a little easier to get hold of us. What's yep. What's your issue, Jackie? My issue is a pineapple. Right. Now, I live in an area in New South Wales that is really quite cold, but I've managed to grow two pineapples. And I'm wondering, it's got a shoot coming out the side. Is that going to be where the pineapple grows 
the actual pineapple or is it just throwing out a shoot for, for you know, another reason at all? Well, Jackie, first off, it's um, gorgeous to talk to you. It's Steve here. And, um, uh, well, you I just... You better than Tiz anyway, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just... Uh, of course, I'm a huge fan of your gorgeous sister. And, um, but it's She's so... so hard to get hold of. I know everyone wants a piece of Sabrina. <laughs> well, you know, we as a family, we find it really difficult. Like, we've... Um, if she comes to visit us, because most of us live on the eastern side, if she comes to visit us, you have to have two things. You have to have lots of money because she'll say, we'll just pop to the nursery and she never buys anything cheap. It's always a million money <laughs> to do She's got stuff. good taste, that girl. Yeah, and the other thing is she'll say, like, this is what you should do, and then she disappears. She'll do a tiny <laughs> little nap. Now... I'm a teacher and um, and she's got quite a following in Inverell because that's where, you know, we've all come, sort of come from. Yeah. And, um, and one of the teachers I work with said to her, just have a little look and I'll give you lots of gin and walk around the garden and tell me what to do. <laughs> so she did the map, but nobody could actually decipher it at all um. because she drinks the gin in a bucket. Don't worry about the glass. Let's get straight to the big stuff. We have something in You're common. You're giving yeah. away a few secrets here today, Jackie. <laughs> well, you know, that's what sisters are for. <laughs> you know, it's great. That'll teach you not to pick up the phone. Well, hey. let me tell you, she, it's payback time for her because she decided to go in the open garden one year. Yes. And she rang me up and said, listen, I'm going to send you over business class. Come and have a holiday. Oh, nice. Oh, that was great. I thought, oh, here I am sitting in first class or business class having a wonderful time. When she, when I got there, she said, listen, I'm on a flight. I'm going, I'm going overseas. So I had 20 minutes with her and she gave me this list of stuff to do. (laughs) I worked 18 hours a day. And in the list was, do you think you could paint my bedroom as well? (laughs) I've got a couple of plants to plant out. Yeah, well, they came up to around about a 1,000. I rang a friend up and, listen, you've got to come and help me. And right down the bottom in very small script was, do you think that you could possibly whip up a sculpture for the front because it'll look really great? (laughs) What is family for? Oh, you you sound like a wonderful sister, Jackie. (laughs) Yeah, well, (laughs) that's sister, so she's got to put up with me. Oh, that's gorgeous. Well, <laughs> you've got that same beautiful laugh as well. <laughs> hey, Jackie, back to your pineapple. Yes. By all means, let that side growth come through right. and because any of those new pups or new growth coming through will, in fact, set pineapples. More often than not, the pineapple it always forms at the top of that growth. Right. But what's happening is that you're getting a bit of uh, new lateral growth that will eventually turn into a pineapple as well. Um, did you say it gets a bit cool where you are in winter? Well, we can get down to about minus eight, minus nine. Wow. So traditionally that would not be conducive to pineapple growing. Have you, have you, has the pineapple pulled through a winter there before? Yeah, it's had, actually it's had two winters. Okay. All right. Well, then it's probably going to be absolutely fine, but I'd leave that side growth and just wait. A little bit of patience. They do take time and, um, yeah. Good luck. Good luck, Jackie. Hey, gorgeous to talk to you. (laughs) Jackie, can we... I was just going to say, can we get one last laugh before we go? I'm sorry. I know that we probably do sound a bit similar. I love it. No, never (laughs) apologise. I like that. Jackie, Sabrina's sister, not a hard one to pick. Hey, um, you're back, Charlotte. I'm back. Hi. Record time. 
Yes. Did you plant anything while you're there? Get the hands dirty. Well, I didn't have a lot of time. No, to, that's true. To um, you know, make the most of it, but it really was very beautiful down yeah. there. Yeah, we should do a little. Such a good idea. Maybe Saturday breakfast. Out at a park. Kind of plantation down there. Yeah, yeah. that'd be all right, wouldn't it? Yeah, at a community garden down there, would be fantastic. Although knowing our luck. I don't know that people want us hanging around their community gardens. It might not go terribly well. No, I'm, I'm no good. Well, the rose is a testament to that. Well, but, um, that's it. People in community gardens love showing off what they do, though, mm. and sharing. So I think they'd love to have you down there. Well, at the very least, we could take some free fruit and yeah. get out of there. Yeah, I'm in for that. <laughs> I'm only here with pretty much enough time to squeeze in a couple of texts and then say goodbye. But, Steve, we do have one from... Sir, S-U-R, sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. Steve, what's killing many of the large eucalypts in the Belia Park at the moment? Are you across that? No, I'm not. Mm. So, what could be killing them? Well, uh, hmm. there's been a fair bit of disturbance in that area in recent times. Mm-hmm. Mm. The Well, I'd, I'd only keep my fingers crossed and hope that with the amount of activity that's been going through the area... Um, that that's not spreading things like Phytophthora, so which is the Jared Ibac. Um, but that, you know, depending on the species that are that are dying, but um, yeah, there certainly has been a lot of disturbance to the soil mm. through there. But um, it's something that I drive past quite regularly, so I'll keep an eye. Keep out an for eye me. on that. Mm. When I was in the car on the way back from Bayswater, I heard you guys talking about indoor plants and the trendy ones that are popping up everywhere. Fiddle leaf fig is oh obviously my gosh. Number, fig, isn't it? number one on that. You list. talk about a blast from the past. That and it is a brilliant indoor plant. Absolutely. I've got one. You've got one. Yeah, of course you do. Killed yeah. it. No, I didn't. No, no. <laughs> it's, good. it's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they're a great one and easy to grow from cutting as well. Well, this well, okay. Question. What what yeah. other chance? Joe has texted in saying, how do you grow a fiddle leaf fig tree from a leaf? Is it just a matter of cutting the leaf off and putting it in water until roots appear or is there more to it? No, it has to, you actually need a piece of the stem right. to grow. And look, uh, it's a little bit late in the season to be taking a fiddle leaf stem cutting, which you normally would take a stem cutting around about 20, 30 centimetres long. Mm-hmm. Only leaving the leaf at the very top. And reducing the leaf by about half, so you've got to cut it in half so to reduce transpiration. But the best way to take a fiddle leaf fig cutting is to, about 30 centimetres down the stem, take off two leaves, use a knife and just sort of cincture the stem a little bit, just scrape a little bit of the, um, the outside of the stem off, the outside's um, cambium layer off, and then you rack... I wrap a little bit of uh, sphagnum moss around it and you tie it up with um, little, you know, uh, some cotton material is a good way to go, or stocking or something like that. And the sphagnum moss sort of sits, uh, creates a, encloses the stem right around and over a period of about sort of 12 weeks or so, roots will grow into that sphagnum moss halfway up the stem and then you just cut below where the roots have grown and then you've got a new plant with roots on it. So it's called aerial laying and it's a great way to reproduce fiddle leaves at any time of the year. Hey, Steve, I've been quite neglectful because we've got about 40 seconds left, yes. but you've brought something in today oh, which I haven't brought up at all. This is something we've, we've probably got to talk... We talk about the microflora in, you know, in, the, in the soil, like creating microbes into the soil, yeah. but the most important is creating microbes in our stomach. This is a, probably a bigger story. It's kefir and it's a great way of growing lactobacillus or probiotics in milk. 
I'd recommend it to everyone out there. It's a fantastic uh, way. It's, it's better than uh, things like yogurt and kombucha and all those sort of things. It's a great product. We'll talk about that next time. Hey, thanks so much for coming in. We'll talk to you pleasure, soon. Pleasure, Jamie. Thanks, Steve. Yeah, Steve pleasure, Charlotte. That's it from us today. Have a great weekend. New Bye. Style.